Hebrews 13, um, looking at the first six verses here, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained strangers unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. <clears throat> Here are these first six verses of Hebrews chapter 13, and we're really dealing with practical application. Come to this last chapter, and it's really some practical application. And the in the first verse, we see there a relationship to the brethren. Second verse, not just brethren, but those brethren that we may not know. Strangers. Those who come through. Then we see in verse 3 our relationship to believers who are suffering persecution and adversity. And what, what a time to have gone through this verse is this last week, just watching what's happening, happening internationally over in Ukraine. And what a, what a sad, sad thing, you know. War is a horrible thing, but here in this verse, this verse really kind of was brought to mind this week. So, you know, there's believers over there who are suffering. And, you know, when they suffer, we suffer with them. It really just makes your heart ache to see what's going on. And, you know, they are also in the body. We're part of the same body. You know, when one member suffers, we all suffer. And, you know, it's... Uh, what a great tragedy to see these you know, people being destroyed needlessly. And, you know, even, I, well, there's so much to say, but this is not the time to say it, so I won't say it. <clears throat> um, let's go on. Then in verse 4, practical application there, our attitude toward marriage, marriage, and the honor that God has placed upon that. And then we come to verses 5 and 6 today. What are we dealing with here? Well, if money, material things. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. <clears throat> Here in these two verses, we're talking about money, material things, and our relationship to them. And we just were looking at this. We've looked at this through the um, last part of Philippians chapter 4 over the last couple of weeks um, in the Bible study hour. We're talking about covetousness, talking about contentment, and what it means, how to be content. Well, here, um, again, in the book of Hebrews, there's instruction concerning, concerning this. So when the Bible says things once, it's good enough. But when it says it more than once or over and over, it's something that really is um, important. And it is something that we need to uh, take a careful look at. Your conversation. Now, 
course, when we think about conversation nowadays in our modern vernacular, we are considering talking and how we speak to one another. But this word conversation really deals with your lifestyle, your conduct, or your deportment, and your character. Let your character, your lifestyle, the manner in which you live, be free from covetousness or free from the love of money. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, there Paul was encouraging the believers. He told them, he said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Again, using that word, the conversation, your character, your conduct. And as believers, our, our conduct is to be, be as it becometh or as fitting a proper representation of the gospel of Christ. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, 1 Peter 2 verse 12, Peter says, um, well in verse 11 he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Beginning, having an honest conversation. Of course, there's warnings given in Scripture concerning material things, especially concerning the love of material things. In 1 John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll, I, we'll, we'll turn here a few times during the message, but in chapter 6 of Paul's first epistle to Timothy, he says in verse 9, They that will be rich, those whose desire it is to be wealthy, those who set their mind to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what that word means, all evil. It doesn't mean at the bottom of every sin you ever committed was the love of money. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it is the root of all kinds of evil which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, as we recall, here in this book, the theme of Hebrews is the writer is encouraging them to be what? To be faithful. To be faithful to the faith. And these warnings go along with that. These warnings, there are temptations in these areas in which he is giving practical application. There are temptations in these areas that can be destructive to your continuing in the faith. And that's what we just saw he talking, Paul talking about to Timothy. Some having erred from the faith, coveting after money, they have erred from the faith. And they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Covetousness is the love of money. 
dissatisfaction with what you currently possess. On the opposite hand, though, being content, that word content, says here, let your conversation be without covetous and be the opposite. Be content. Covetousness and contentment are polar opposites. We talked about that in Bible study hour this morning. Covetousness and generosity are also polar opposite. A content person is a generous person. A covetous person is a selfish person. But here he says, do not be covetous, but rather be content. That word content means to be sufficed or to have sufficient, to have enough, to be satisfied. You know, every one of you knows what this is like. When you eat, you get to that point where you're satisfied. And then there's Thanksgiving. <laughs> and you eat to that point you've got satisfied and you haven't got past the salad. <laughs> okay, and there's turkey and there's pie and there's... And you finish, Thanksgiving and Christmas were the two times we'd go visit grandma and grandpa, and then I would eat, and the next thing I'd do, I'd lay on the couch for the next hour. I couldn't do anything. I had a headache. My body felt horrible because I ate too much. But And I went beyond being content. But here's what he says. <clears throat> Let your conversation be without covetous and be sufficed. Be content. Be satisfied with such things as you what? as you have. Now I want you to think about what that means. And be content with what you presently have. Be content with your present state. Okay, he's not saying, and be content with what you hope to gain tomorrow. Or be content with your future plans if they're fulfilled. No, he says here, let your conversation be without, be free from the love of material things, be free from the love of money, and be content in your present state with what you presently possess. Be content. Be satisfied. If we are not content with what we presently have, we will never be content. Now, that's... You can say, well, that's a logical statement because we live in the present. But it's a fact. If you are not content with what you presently have, you will neverly, you will never be presently content. Okay? In Philippians 4, like I said, we've been looking at that in the Bible study hour the last several weeks. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul said, not that, I respeak, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. To be presently content. Paul, you're in jail. I've got my needs met. I've got a roof over my head. Okay? <laughs> it may not be the same roof as yours. It may be a little bit more solid and reinforced with, some, reinforced with steel, whatever, but uh, I've got a roof over my head. I've, I've got food and, 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 and clothing. Be content. Of course, he said in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 4, I know both how to be abased, and how to abound. But those are my external circumstances. He says, Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And our contentment isn't based 
upon our external circumstances. Contentment really is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And so here, this, this practical advice, be content with what you presently have. Now, <clears throat> in saying that, we need to be aware of what this verse is not saying, okay, or what it is not um, condemning. Or it is this verse is not inconsistent with hard work. Okay, there's nothing wrong with hard work. The Bible commends hard work. Read in Proverbs about the the slothful man or the diligent, and the diligent soul shall be made fat. Okay, and it's talking about having plenty. It's not talking about, you know, your caloric uh, in, uh, intake. But working hard is not inconsistent with this principle. This passage is not opposed to working hard and being skillful. It's not opposed to making money. And it's not necessarily opposed to making lots of money. Does this verse say don't make lots of money? No, it doesn't say that. Is having lots of money sinful? No. Solomon, one of the richest men ever. And who gave him all the wealth he had? God did. Okay? So, this verse is not condemning money. And remember, money, I would call it filthy lucre, or money. Is it sinful in and of itself? Well, of course not. It's a tool. Okay? It's a tool. The sin is not in the money. Jesus said it's in the heart of man. The heart problems, this is where the sin emanates. Okay? These are the things that defile the man, the stuff that comes out of man, the covetousness. Okay? So <clears throat> these verses are not saying that hard work is bad or working hard and making lots of money is bad. Proverbs encourages hard work, and hard work is rewarded. Turn to Acts chapter 20. I want you to see something. <clears throat> finger there in Hebrews, but in Acts chapter 20, as Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, it's the last time he's going to see them, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, you know, here he's giving his last words of encouragement. We expect him to say things. He says like verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And of course, he's He's encouraging them to be faithful. <clears throat> but I want you to drop down and see what he says at beginning at verse 33. Paul says this, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. I'm not a covetous man. I have not desired any of your stuff. Okay? Not coveted any of your stuff. Verse 34 Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Whose hands? Paul's hands. What did Paul do? Paul worked. He made tents. And Aquila and Priscilla, they were also tent makers. He stayed with them for a while, repairing tents. So don't have the idea that Paul was this evangelist and 
he went out and he was on deputation and went around and got all the support. And then he went out and started serving the Lord. And everyone, everyone sent him a check and he got all this money from all these churches around. And he didn't really have to do anything hard, just really preach the word and pretty cushy life. No, that is not how he was. He says, you know that my own hands have ministered to meet my own needs. I've not been a burden to you. I've provided for myself. Yea, yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, but not only to mine, and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And here Paul said, I've been an example to you. So that la so laboring or laboring, working in like manner, you can support the weak. And you yourselves can minister to others. And he is speaking to the elders of the church. So working this passage here in Hebrews, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that ye have. That doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. I should not work for a raise. No, no, I got to be content with what I'm being paid now. Listen, if you work harder and you earn a raise, praise the Lord, that's great. <laughs> now you can even be more generous. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, so <clears throat> this is not what the past. The passage is not saying that hard work is bad or making more money is bad. It's not condemning the acquisition of earthly possessions or wealth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, back in that passage again, towards the end of the passage, um, Paul exhorts Timothy to encourage those who are rich. He says, charge them that are rich in this world. Yes, there are rich people in the world, folks. And don't begrudge them for their riches. You know, people, you know, you read in the news, people, oh, they're not paying their fair share or they're you know, griping about these multi-billionaires that have all this money. Hey, Listen. More power to you. They've earned it. I don't, listen, they want to buy a yacht that can't even sail out of the harbor. It's so big. That's fine. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. You know, good luck. I don't envy your position. I don't envy your money or the trouble that goes with it or the wife you had to split it with when you left her. You know, but, uh, you know, that's, there's, there's nothing wrong with making money or making lots of it. That's not sinful. And all those who are griping about it are just revealing they're covetous. You want money? Go work harder. You make more money. Just get up earlier. Work harder. Okay. And he says here, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to what? To enjoy. Wait a minute. <clears throat> Christians, we've been called to suffer. Well, you know what? Sometimes we are called to suffer. But you know what? God has given us these things to enjoy. Listen, Christians should not be sticks in the mud, moping people. Listen, if we don't have the joy of the Lord, how's anybody going to, you know, see Christ in us? And God has provided us things that... We enjoy, and that is not sinful to enjoy them. So this passage is not 
It's not condemning the acquisition of earthly possession or wealth. Again, God God gave Solomon great wealth. But it's also not slothful neglect or a pretense of apathy towards the things of this life. You ever met somebody, oh, I'm above that. Money means nothing to me. And I just live on prayer. Amen. You know, I just... Yeah, this, but they kind of eschewing like the world and you know everything and you know oh money is just not even necessary and no it's not talking about that kind of an attitude either okay it's not this false pretense okay of apathy towards the things of this life but you know what it is folks here's what he's saying we are to be satisfied with God and with what He has provided for us. Be sufficed, be satisfied, be content. Be content. Well, where is the line crossed? When are you covetous or when are you satisfied? I mean, how do you know? Where's the, how do you cross, when's the line crossed? Well, the line is crossed when we lack contentment with what God has presently provided. Okay? If you're not content with what God has provided, there, you're crossing that line. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with working harder and making more money, again. But if you're not content with what you presently have, again, being content, sufficient, enough. 1 Timothy 6, verse 8. What did Paul say there? Told Timothy. He said, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. What's the irreducible minimum? You know, really, you think about it. you, You need shelter and food, shelter and sustenance, clothing, clothing, and something, fuel to keep the body running. That really is the bare minimum. You know what? We could do with an awful lot less than we have. What do you call it when you open your refrigerator and you have, you know, milk, orange juice, Diet Coke, (laughs) a selection of different sodas, maybe iced tea? You know, what do you what do you call it when you when you You go to your freezer and you open up and you think, wow, what will I fix for dinner? We've got beef, pork, chicken, a wild game here. Okay. What do you call it when you've got two freezers or or more? You know, I mean, and you go to the pantry and there's bread that's not moldy and, and there's canned goods. And you know what, folks, that's called Wealth. That's wealth. That's wealth. How many of you have traveled to a third world country? You ever been to a third world country? And, you know, especially the first time you ever went, and you look and you realize what people are living without. And it takes you a few days to really digest it. It's like, wow. And all they have got to drink is water. And of course, 
you can't drink it because it's not clean. They can tolerate it because they've, they've got all those bugs living inside and they're used to them. But, you know, and here it is. When they, little bit of food that they have and they're just subsisting and they work all day just for a little bit of food to get them to the next day so that they can work again. You know, we can be content. We, can, we ought to be the most content and the most generous people on this earth because this nation is the wealthiest of all nations. So I shouldn't even have to preach this message, right? He shouldn't have even had to say it, right? No, we've got to hear it. Okay, because the eyes of man, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never sufficed, never satisfied. Okay, are you content? Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Covetousness really is the belief that satisfaction comes from the things of this world and this life. And if you really believe that, you will never be content because we were created to be satisfied with heaven and with God, not the things of this earth. They will never satisfy it. And if you accumulate the whole world and lose your own soul, you will have gained nothing. Covetousness, the belief that satisfaction comes from the things of this life. It could be an inordinate, inordinate desire for material things, but it also might be an inordinate desire for power, for fame, for attention, etc. Really, it's dissatisfaction with the present. And that's why he says, you be content with the present, with what you currently have. And then he gives a motive. <clears throat> and this is not the motive we'd expect. And you have to think about it if you want to connect the dots. Because he says, you know, let your conversation, your character be free from the love of money, the love of material things, and be content with what you presently have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's the motive. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now those two words kind of sound like he's saying the same thing twice, but there's a little bit of a different perspective. That word leave means to, to let go or to, to let sink. You parents know this. You take your little child out into the pool, take him for a swim, and you take him where it's deeper than they are and, and they can't swim. And, you're introducing them into the water, or, and what do they do? Don't what? Don't let me go. Don't let me go. I mean, I've done this so many times because I've got so many kids. You take them out in the pool, and you're trying to teach them to float on their backs. And as long as they can feel your hands, they feel your support. I mean, they're still scared out of their gourds, but they're, you know, like this. But then you take away your hand. And they, it just like, blah, you know, they panic and it's the end of the world. But don't let me go. This is what he says. 
I will never let you sink. Oh, isn't that nice? What happened to Peter? Remember, he's walking on the water. And he uh, took his eyes off the Lord, and what happened? He drowned. That's it. Into Peter right there, right? <laughs> no. What did Peter say? Don't let me go! Okay, help! I, he didn't have time to say, you know, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Rabo and Jeroboam, and all the bone brothers in the Bible. No, he was going down. It was just help, glub. And what did the Lord do? Reached down and grabbed him. I will not. I will never leave you. I will not let you go. I will not let you sink. It just makes you want to just sigh. <sighs> Breath of relief. And what do we tell our kids around the pool? I'm not letting you go. I've got you. Daddy's right here. <laughs> I'm right here. Feel my hand? I'm right here. Okay, don't let me go. I won't. You sure? Yes. Promise? Yes. Now relax, right? Relax. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake. I will not forsake thee. You know what it means to forsake? To abandon or to leave helpless. To abandon. It's not going to abandon us. Well, you're on your own. I'm out of here. No. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, that's the motive for contentment. The motive for contentment. You be, you be satisfied with what you presently have because God has said, and he says it in the first person there, right? He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, <clears throat> remember Philip in John chapter 14 and verse 8. Jesus is talking about going back to the Father talking about going to the cross. The disciples don't really understand. And, and Philip, you know, he keeps talking about the Father. And Philip just says, well, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus looked at Philip and what did he say? Philip, how long have you been with me? And you say, show me the Father. If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Ah, so what was Jesus telling Philip? You have me. You have enough. Philip says, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. There's something more here going on, right? No, Jesus says, you, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You have me, you have enough. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. But the scripture also says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not spoken and will he not do it or make it good. 
Listen, this is a promise of God. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. Of course, he's quoting from Psalm 118. Back in the Old Testament, Psalm 118, verse 6. This psalm starts out, and if you note it as you read the first First four verses, he says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that His mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place or the, the idea there he put under my feet a big enough place to stand. Or watch those mountain climbers kind of crawl up rocks and they get this tiny little edge and they barely get their toenail on it and somehow they hang on these little edges. That is not a large place. Okay. It's the opposite here. So he put me in a large place. He put me on something I could, I was stable. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear, what can man do unto me? In Psalm 17, in verse 5, David said, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. David said, I will be satisfied when I awake with you. Think about that. (laughs) You wake up in the morning. You should be satisfied because you have Him. Now, why is this given as the reason for not being covetous but being content? That's interesting because there are other reasons given throughout Scripture. You know, there is... Um, in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, you know that there's this rivalry um, over the lordship of Christ. You know, a master, he says, no man can serve two masters. Or he either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will um, cling to the one and despise the other. And uh, masters demand what? the full time of their slaves. I mean, they're full-time employees. They can't divide their time between, you know, Joe next door and, and the master. No. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. No man can serve two masters. So one of the arguments against covetousness is this very fact that <clears throat> the scripture teaches us that covetousness reveals that there's a rivalry with the Lordship of Christ, who is your master. But also, as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 9, if you set your will upon wealth, you will afflict yourself with great temptations and snares and foolish and deceitful desires, which results in the destruction of the soul, results in departing from the faith which while some having erred have departed from the faith. And they pierce themselves with many sorrows. They bring upon themselves all this trouble. Because what? 
They desire to be rich. That's their goal. And then Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, where it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, there is, it's equated with idolatry. Again, you can't serve two masters. And if your desire is for money, then you have something before God. It's idolatry. But here, Hebrews is arguing from a different reason. In the context here, again, he's speaking to people who are undergoing great persecution. The whole tenor of this book is to encourage faithfulness. Be faithful, be faithful to the faith. Don't walk away. Be faithful to the finished faith. But, but if I'm faithful, I might lose my home. But if I'm faithful, I might lose my job. But if I'm faithful, I, I might lose my possessions. And by the way, some of them already had. Back in chapter 10, he says, For you had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing, that, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. They've been made up, you know, they were made a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions and because of their association with the people of God. So there was persecution, there was affliction here, and faithfulness could result in great material loss. In fact, as you read Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11, that great chapter of all the examples of those who endured to the end, those faithful people of God. What do we see? Well, there were some who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. But others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials, it says, of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments, or here, a confiscation of their goods. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins, Goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, and the roofs over the heads, it was the dens and the caves of the earth. Faithfulness might result in great material loss. But what does God say? No matter what you might lose, I will never leave you. You will not lose me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be faithful. This really addresses the anxiety over persecution and loss. You look at that, think of those people over there right now in Ukraine. They're bombing apartment buildings. Everything they own, 
gone in a puff of smoke. Some of their lives. Okay. We tend to have anxiety when we think about persecution or potential loss. You know, here, <clears throat> what the Lord says comes from back in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31 is Moses is heading off the scene. Joshua is about to come in and take over and to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. Deuteronomy chapter 31, <clears throat> Moses is speaking to all Israel. He says in verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the people on the other side of the River Jordan. And remember 40 years ago what they said about him? Ah, there's giants over there. We look like grasshoppers. There's not a chance. Well, this time they're going in. He says, Fear not, neither be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Drop down to verse 8. And the Lord said, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Do not be anxious. Don't be worried. And then you just go over to Joshua chapter 1. What does God tell Joshua? Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, obviously, that was God's word to Joshua right then. Well, he said, well, does it apply to us? Absolutely, it's God's word to his people. And here, the author of Hebrews encourages, encourages us. Let our conversation be without covetousness. Be content with what you presently have because you have the Lord. And He is not going to leave you, and He is not ever going to forsake you. And what is the result of that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 6. So that we may boldly say, there's something that goes beyond contentment. He's talked about contentment. He gives the motive, I will never leave thee for, or forsake thee. And then what is our response? Well, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And here's where it says this in Psalm 118, verse 6. We looked at that. Lord's mercy is everlasting here. The Lord is my help. The Lord is my sustainer. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. It goes beyond contentment to confidence. Are these not the words of confidence? The Lord is my helper. He will never leave us, he never forsake us. I mean, I still often, when I'm reading scripture or even when I'm driving in the car, I'm thinking about the Lord, I'm thinking, you know, he's with me. And of course, I, we, we, we think like humans. I mean, we, we're humans, that's how we think. So it's like, here he is. 
Now, I can't see him, but I know he's with me. But I try to imagine, well, if the Lord was just right next to me, walking arm in arm, walking together, what would you fear? What would you lack? Nothing. Confidence. Confidence. There's bold thinking here so that we may boldly. This is bold. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. But not only bold thinking, bold speech. Look at that. So that we may boldly proclaim, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Fearlessness, confidence and fearlessness. That's what comes. That's the result. That goes beyond contentment. I'm not just content. I'm confident. I'm not just confident. I'm proclaiming it, and I am fearless. And two illustrations from Scripture come to mind here at the end of this. Back in the Old Testament, children of Israel, Saul is king, got these ordinary neighbors called the Philistines. And they've got this freak. This guy just, you know, something happened to his pituitary gland and he, be, he just grew. They've got a giant. And his name is Goliath. He comes out. They've got their armies set up in array. And he comes out every morning and every evening and teases, taunts the Israelites. Eh, send one of you over here and I'll fight him. And if I win, you... Are our servants, and if he wins, we'll be your servants. You got a chance, you little kids. <laughs> he just mocks them. And the armies of Israel over there just kind of biting their nails, chattering their teeth, looking at him, saying, Where did he come from? Oh, this is even before the NBA. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but here's this giant. Okay, there's a giant. And, and they're terrified, and, and nothing's really happening. Every day, same story. And then David walks into the camp. And he says, who's that? That guy's awfully large. Oh, David, let's tell you what's going on here. That's Goliath. He's over nine feet tall. And, and you know, it, and David says, well, why is someone of you guys taking him out? Is there not a cause? What's going on? I mean, go get him. <clears throat> David. He's a man of war. Look at that. Look at his spear. He just throw that and shish kebab about eight Israelis right there. <laughs> well, the word comes back to Saul, and David calls Saul, or Saul calls David and says, what, what, what you got going here, kid? He goes, well, somebody needs to go out and beat that giant, and I'm going to go do it. He's defying the God we serve. The God that said he would never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't there a cause? So I said, well, listen, um, if you have to go, at least put on some armor, okay? Here, I'll give you my suit of armor. And it doesn't fit. And David's like, you know, I, I David said, you know, I, I'm content to go with what I presently have. <laughs> it's a, what have you got? I got? I got a sling in my pocket. I'll pick up some rocks on the way. You're going to do what? Yeah. 
going to go, David, a sling? Well, I've killed a lion and a bear, and they're stealing my sheep, and I, I went and grabbed him and tore him up, and God delivered me, and he'll deliver me out of this, this guy's hand. What did David do? She you know the story. He goes out there with a sling of confidence. He wasn't hiding behind the rock, jumping behind a cactus, peeking out from behind a bush and see if he could just maybe sneak around the back of, back of Goliath and you know, poke him. No, he ran. <laughs> and Goliath is sitting there taunting him. Are you sending a little, am I a dog? Are you sending a little kid? They said, no, you defy the armies of Israel and I'm coming out here and I'm going to feed you to the birds. And I mean, and he runs toward Goliath. And while he's running, he puts a, sling, a stone in his sling and he starts slinging his sling and he lets it fly in. There goes Goliath. And all, all those, you know, special forces, Jewish soldiers, and all of them are like, I know what they were thinking. It doesn't say this in the Bible. You're like, you know what? That kid just made us look bad. <laughs> But what was it? Listen, David had the Lord. He was content, but he was confident. And he boldly proclaimed that confidence in the Lord. And he was fearless. I'll give you another illustration. And you know these stories, but aren't they great? Remember Shadrach, my shack, your shack in a bungalow? <laughs> those three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three Hebrew children, and they're out there, and Nebuchadnezzar has built this great statue of himself, and he wants everybody to do a little bit of hero worship, and he's going to be the hero. You go bow down to this big image, when the, the big golden image, when the music plays. And um, so everybody goes out there, and they're all bowing down except three kids, these three young men that were captives that he brought in from Israel, and they weren't bowing down. Word came back, so he brings them in, and he says, I... Uh, you know, maybe you misunderstood the directions here. Let me just reiterate here. You're to bow when you hear the music play. If you don't bow, that furnace over there will be your new home, and I will evaporate you. Okay, we will kill you. And the three Hebrew children, what'd they say? We totally misunderstood you, Nimp. Give us another chance. Is that what they said? No. They said, okay. Our Lord can deliver us if he so chooses. But he may not deliver us out of your hand. But either way, we're not obeying your commandment. Now, listen, that is no way to talk to the king of the world if you want to save your skin, okay? You know, it was like, it wasn't like, king, well, thanks. That was really polite of you, but please, could you, would you mind? If, we have a different religion we kind of like to do things a little different if it's okay. No, they said, you know, King, we know what you've said. Our God, he is so great. He can deliver us, but he might not. We don't know, but we know this. We're not bound down to your image, period. Well, that didn't go over real well with Nebuchadnezzar. And so he said, all right, turn up the heat. He turned up seven times hotter than it was supposed to be, you know, exceeded the warranty right there. And he grabbed those three guys, and he took his strongest, most brave soldiers, and they dragged them over, and they threw them in, and the brave soldiers fell over dead because it was just too hot. They just incinerated, and they threw the three Hebrew children in there, and King looks in, and he sees four people walking around. He says, he, he, 
He may not have been, you know, a math major, but he knew that they'd thrown three in and there was four in there now. So he said, can we check this out? What's going on and what had happened? Well, there was the Lord walking with them. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. What can man do? Remember what Jesus said? Do not fear them that can destroy the body and after that have no power over you. But you want to know who to fear. You fear him who can destroy the body and the soul in eternal hell. And folks, that's not the devil. That's God. If you fear God, you won't fear anything else. But if you don't fear God, your fears will overtake you. And that's the message of Scripture. So folks, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content. Be content with what you presently have, with what God has provided. Because you have Him. For He has said, I will never leave thee. I am not going to let you sink, and I will never forsake you. I will not abandon you. And we can boldly say with confidence, well, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do unto me. That's the way we are to live. Man, it's great being a servant of the King of Kings. Are you content? Listen, this is great practical application here. Hebrews 13. Let your conversation, let your character be without covetousness. Be content. Be content. You have the Lord. You lack nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful promises. And Lord, they're not just promises written on paper. They are true. And Lord, we live them. We've experienced this. Lord, we know this to be true by practice. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, let us not be distracted. The things of this world... Lord, with the, the eyes of the flesh, which are never satisfied. Lord, may our satisfaction come from you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.